Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. In 1604, King Henry IV granted a fur monopoly to a French noble who led a colonizing expedition to an island located near the mouth of the St. Croix River, which in time was to mark the international boundary between the Canadian province of New Brunswick and the American state of Maine. The general area came to be known as Acadia. Among the lieutenants on this undertaking was a geographer named Samuel de Champlain. Let's learn more about this expedition with the help of our friends at LibriVox. Samuel Champlain, Acadia, St. Croix Island. Pierre Dugois, Sieur de Mont, Governor of Pont, a native of the ancient province of Saint-Onge, who had served under Henry IV, obtained a commission as, quote, Lieutenant General au pays de Cadie, du quarante-trième degré au quarante-sixième degré, end quote, on the condition that his energy should be especially directed to the propagation of the Catholic faith. De Mont was a Huguenot. Nevertheless, he agreed to take with him to America a number of Catholic priests, and to see that they were respected and obeyed. Champlain was not satisfied with the choice of a Protestant to colonize a country which he had intended to make solely Catholic, and he states, quote, that those enterprises made hastily never succeed. De Mont was not a stranger to America. He had first visited the country with Chauvin in 1600, but when he left Tadoussac he was so discouraged that he determined, in the event of his becoming master of the situation, to attempt colonization only in Acadia, or on the eastern borders of the Atlantic running towards Florida. It was well known in France that Acadia was the richest and most fertile part of the New World. Excellent harbors and good soil were found there, Fish abounded near its coasts. Its forests were numerous and dense. An opinion existed that there were numerous mines, rich in copper, coal, and gypsum. This country was also the favorite of the Normans, Britons, and Basques, who had for a hundred years pursued their callings as fishermen or traders without interruption. De Mont, however, was unable to bear the expense of this undertaking alone, and he consequently formed a company composed of merchants of Rouen, La Rochelle, and other towns. To further the enterprise, Henry the Fourth diminished the duty on merchandises exported from Acadia and Canada, and granted to the company the exclusive privilege of fur trading for a period of ten years, quote, from Cape d'Arras to the fortieth parallel, comprising all the Acadian coast, Cape Breton, Baie des Chaleurs, Perse Island, Gaspé, Chisadec, Miramichi, Tadoussac, and Canada River, from either side, and all the bays and rivers which flow within these shores, end quote. Acadia of that day was not confined to the peninsula of our own time, called Nova Scotia. It included that part of the continent which extends from the river St. John to the Penobscot. These boundaries were the cause of long quarrels and fierce and bloody wars between England and France until they were finally settled by the Treaty of Utrecht. In the early part of April 1604, the King's proclamation confining the fur trade to de Mont and his associates was published in every harbour of France. Four ships were lying at anchor at Havre de Grasse, ready to sail, and one hundred and twenty passages had been secured in two of the ships. Pont Gravé commanded one of the vessels of one hundred and twenty tons burthen, and another vessel of one hundred and fifty tons was under the charge of de Mont, who had taken on board Jean de Biencourt, Sieur de Poutrincourt, a gentleman of Picardy, Samuel Champlain, some Catholic priests, and some Protestant ministers. Poutrincourt was going to America with the intention of residing there with his family. He was a good Catholic and a loyal subject, Champlain was attached to de Mont's expedition as geographer and historian. 
The rendezvous had been fixed at Canso, but de Mont proceeded directly to port aux moutons on the Acadian coast, where he decided to await the arrival of Pont-Gravé. In the meantime, Champlain explored the country from port aux moutons to port Sainte-Marguerite, now called St. Mary's Bay. This occupied a whole month. He also named Cape Negré, Cape Fourchu, and Long Island. Champlain reported to de Mont that St. Mary's Bay was a suitable place to establish a settlement and following this advice, the lieutenant-general proceeded with Champlain to this bay, and further explored the Bay of Fundy, or French Bay. They soon perceived the entrance to another splendid port, which is now known as Annapolis Bay, or Port Royal. Notwithstanding the authority of L'Escarbot, Champlain was the first to give this place the name of Port Royal, for he says himself, quote, I have named this harbour Port Royal, end quote. When de Mont named the place La Baie Française, Champlain did not hesitate to give to his chief the merit which he deserved. Three rivers flow into this splendid harbour. The Rivière de l'Equille, so-called from a little fish of the size of our Éperlan or Lançon, which is found there in large quantities. The river named Saint-Antoine by Champlain, and a stream called de la Roche by Champlain, and de l'Orignac by l'Escarbot. After having explored the harbour, Champlain traversed la Baie Française to see whether he could discover the copper mine mentioned by Prévert of Saint-Malo, and he soon arrived at a place which he named the Cape of Two Bays, or Chignecto, and perceived the high islands where a copper mine was found. On May 20th, an expedition started from the port of Mines, in search of a place suitable for a permanent settlement. Proceeding towards the southwest, they stopped at the entrance of a large river, which was named St. John, as it was on St. John's Day that they arrived there. The Indians called the river Ouigoudi. Quote, this river is dangerous, writes Champlain, if one does not observe carefully certain points and rocks on the two sides. It is so narrow at its entrance, and then becomes broader. A certain point being passed, it becomes narrower again, and forms a kind of fall between two large cliffs, where the water runs so rapidly that a piece of wood thrown in is drawn under and not seen again. But by waiting till high tide, you can pass this fall very easily. Then it expands again to the extent of about a league in some places where there are three islands. Champlain did not explore the river further, but he ascertained a few days later that the Indians used the river in their journeys to Tadoussac, making but a short portage on the way. As preparations had shortly to be made for winter quarters, de Mont decided to proceed southwards, and the party at length came to a number of islands at the entrance of the river Sainte-Croix, or des Etchemins. One of these islands was chosen for their establishment, and named Sainte-Croix, quote, because, says Lescarbot, they perceived two leagues above this island, two streams flowing into the channel of the river, presenting the appearance of a cross, end quote. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Demont at once commenced to fortify the place by forming a barricade on a little inlet, which served as a station on which he set up a cannon. It was situated halfway between the mainland and the island of St. Croix. 
Some days afterwards all the French who were waiting in St. Mary's Bay disembarked on the island. They were all eager and willing to work, and commenced to render the place habitable. They erected a storehouse and a residence for de Mont, and built an oven and a hand-mill for grinding wheat. Some gardens were also laid out, and various kinds of seeds were sown, which flourished well on the mainland, though not on the island, which was too sandy. De Mont was anxious to ascertain the location of a mine of pure copper which had been spoken of, and accordingly he dispatched Champlain with an Indian named Messamouet, who asserted that he could find the place. At about eight leagues from the island, near the river St. John, they found a mine of copper, which, however, was not pure, though fairly good. According to the report of the miner, it would yield about eighteen per cent. Lescarbot says that amidst the rocks, diamonds and some blue and clear stones could be found as precious as turquoises. Chandoré, one of the carpenters, took one of these stones to France, and had it divided into many fragments and mounted by an artist. De Mont and Poutrincourt, to whom they were presented, considered these gems so valuable that they offered them to the king. A goldsmith offered Poutrincourt fifteen crown pieces for one of them. Agriculture did not flourish on the island of Sainte-Croix, which is about half a league in circumference. The rays of the sun parched the sand so that the gardens were entirely unproductive, and there was a complete dearth of water. At the commencement there was a fair quantity of wood, but when the buildings were finished there was scarcely any left. The inhabitants, consequently, nearly perished from cold in the winter. All the liquor, wine, and beer became frozen, and as there was no water the people were compelled to drink melted snow. A malignant epidemic of scurvy broke out, and of seventy-nine persons, thirty-five died from the disease, and more than twenty were at the point of death. This disease proved one of the obstacles to rapid colonization in New France. It was epidemic, contagious, and often fatal. It is a somewhat remarkable fact that the epidemic was prevalent amongst the French only when they were established on the soil, being rarely discovered on shipboard. Jacques Cartier had experienced the horrors of this disease in the winter of 1535-36, when out of his one hundred and ten men, twenty-five died, and only three or four remained altogether free from attack. During the year 1542-43, Robert Val saw fifty persons dying of the disease at Charlebourg-Royal. At Saint-Croix the proportion of deaths was still greater, thirty-five out of seventy-nine. There was a physician attached to de Mont's party, but he did not understand the disease, and therefore could not satisfactorily prescribe for it. De Mont also consulted many physicians in Paris, but he did not receive answers that were of much service to him. At the commencement of the seventeenth century, Scientific men distinguished scurvy on land from scurvy on sea. They labored under the false impression that the one differed from the other. Champlain called the disease mal de terre. It is certain, however, that the symptoms did not vary in either case, as we may ascertain from the descriptions furnished by Jacques Cartier and Champlain. The position of the settlement was soon proved to be untenable, and de Mont was certainly to blame for this unhappy state of affairs. Why did he abandon Port Royal, where he had found abundant water? Champlain, however, defends the action of his chief. Quote, it would be very difficult, he says, to ascertain the character of this region without spending a winter in it, for on arriving here in summer everything is very agreeable in consequence of the woods, fine country, and the many varieties of good fish which are found. We must not forget, however, that the climate of this island differed very little from that of Tadoussac, which had greatly disappointed de Mont, and that his sole object in settling in a more southern latitude was to avoid the disagreeable consequences of the climate. Champlain made a plan of the island of Saint-Croix, indicating the buildings constructed for the habitation of the settlers. We observe many isolated tenements forming a large square. On one side was the residence of Champlain, of Chandoré, and Dorville, with a large garden opposite. Near Dorville's residence was a small building set apart for the missionaries. 
On the other side may be seen the storehouse, de Mont's dwelling, a public hall where the people spent their leisure, and a building for Boulet and the workmen. In an angle of the large square were the residences of Genestoux, Surin, de Beaumont, La Motte, Bourioli, and Fougeret. A small fort is shown at one end of the island, approached by a pathway. The chapel of the priest Aubry was located near the cannon of the fort. Such was the plan of the first Acadian settlement. Much expense had been incurred for a very poor result. De Mont was the directing spirit of the colony, and in spite of his noble attempts, he realized that his efforts were fruitless and that he would have to try another place for a permanent settlement. By the direction of his chief, Champlain accordingly undertook to explore the sea-coast of Norumbega. De Mont has found a defender in Moreau, who held that St. Croix was only intended for winter quarters. If this had been his intention, we can scarcely believe that he would have incurred so great an expense in building a number of houses. L'Escarbot, whose testimony is most valuable, says, quote, When we go into a country to take possession of land, we don't stop on islands to imprison ourselves. If that island had been supplied with rivers or streams, if the soil had been favorable to agriculture, it would have been half wrong, end quote but this island lacked the very first element essential to life, fresh water. Towards the middle of May, 1605, everyone's attention was directed towards France, as the ships which had been expected for over a month had not yet arrived. De Mont then determined to send his party to Gaspé in two large boats to join Pont-Gravé. At this juncture, however, Pont-Gravé arrived at Saint-Croix with his crew, comprising forty men. De Mont and Pont-Gravé held a consultation, and decided to seek a more suitable place for a settlement, rather than to return to France. De Mont was still under the impression that the best plan was to attempt to settle in the vicinity of Florida, although the result of Champlain's exploration along the coast of Norumbega was considered unsatisfactory. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.